Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Monday check-in. Today is Monday, June 1st. Uh, my name is Damon. I'm one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg, one of the other pastors, or the other pastor, I suppose, as the case may be, <laughs> at I First will... Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska. <laughs> Then it's Monday, so we're doing the Monday check-in at the start of the week. For those who may not know, this is we take a, a few moments, we share a few announcements about life at First Pres and things that folks might need or want to be aware of or in the loop on, and then we sort of transition and we start to take a preview of the scripture that is coming up for this coming Sunday. So uh, we're going to go ahead and do that now. Greg, what should we know? Well, for the first part of our check-in, we're going to check in on the status of Damon's beard, which is still not trimmed. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see the, uh, again, I'm looking for the proper adjective here. Um, might. The might of Damon's beard. <laughs> uh, so not, as not mites. It doesn't have mites. It, it Are contains you sure? M-I-G-H-T, might. Uh, okay. Not M-I-T-E-S. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's uh, let's talk about the important stuff. Uh, we're pretty excited about uh, summer because uh, we typically, uh, at least in the, the last three years, have gone uh, what we call off lectionary. So rather than following the prescribed lectionary text, and we do series. Um, and for the last three years, I've done this uh, summer sermon song series where I invite the congregation to submit secular songs to me that they think would make a good sermon. And uh, we preach on those. And it's fun. And we're going to do that again this summer. But we're actually delaying the summer sermon song series to the second half of the summer and uh, introducing a new summer sermon series, which will be based upon children's books. So starting this week for the first six weeks of summer, Damon and I will uh, be preaching a sermon series based upon popular children's books. Uh, we have selected those books based upon recommendations from various folks, including my daughter. And uh, so we're excited about uh, what we're going to be reading and sharing and reflecting on how, how there are biblical and theological themes contained in children's literature that speak to us. And this is not just a series for children. This is a series for people of all ages, including the young and the young at heart. Um, and even those who aren't young at heart, I think we'll get something out of this as well. <laughs> so that'll be the first six weeks of the summer will be the children book series, sermon series. And then the second six weeks of the summer, we will do our summer sermon song series. And so if you're listening and you have a song that you think would make a great sermon, particularly a popular secular song that people might know, uh, then submit that to me or Damon and we will uh, put it in the hopper. And uh, if that's something that we can preach on starting um, this second half of the summer, we'll do that. Just so you're aware of our process here, uh, sometimes when we do the Summer Sermon Song Series and we play a song that has copyright issues, our live stream feed can get uh, shut down. And uh, given our dependence on our live stream feed this summer, that is why we are delaying the start of the Summer Sermon Song Series. So we have a little more time to prepare for that, to deal with the copyright issues, perhaps to get some live music lined up, which usually we don't get flagged for copyright issues if we have a live version of the song that is played. 
And I will say that we actually do pay for the copyright on the songs we use, but Facebook doesn't know that. And so <laughs> their little bots are streaming and like, hey, that's a copyrighted song. And they don't know that we've got the copyright paper. Even if we file that with them ahead of time, they still have been known to shut down our live stream, which can't happen in our era of stay-at-home worship. So that was a very long explanation for a very uh, simple thing, but just so y'all are aware, we're, we're doing this. Um, another exciting thing that's happening this summer is a little bit of a summer book group. We're going to invite the whole church, uh, anyone at the church who wants to, to join us in reading a book uh, called Gilead. Uh, this is a book written by uh, Pulitzer Prize winning author Marilyn Robinson. The book itself won a Pulitzer Prize. And uh, it's about a church in a small town in Iowa. And so as soon as I said that to Damon, he said, that's the book we're using this summer. <laughs> that's because, done. Uh, Damon grew up at a church in a small town in Iowa. And, I think uh, maybe we'll use it next summer too. <laughs> so uh, what I'll invite you to do right now will be uh, buy a copy. The book is called Gilead, like there is a balm in Gilead uh, by Marilyn Robinson. Go on Amazon, purchase yourself a copy. We'll buy some books at the church as well for people who uh, can't do that. Um, and we'll start reading it here towards the end of June. And we're excited because what we're going to do is line up uh, some podcasts like this with a couple folks who are uh, have an interest in literature, who will talk with Damon and I about different chapters of the books. And throughout the summer, uh, when we're reading this for six weeks, we'll alternate between a podcast one week, and then we'll hold a live Zoom video chat book club meeting the next week. And we'll do that alternating uh, for six weeks as we as a congregation work our way through this book and reflect on the themes in it. So that's exciting. Another way for us to connect and be connected as a church over the course of the summer. Uh, that was Damon's idea. And so we're excited about how this is all going to work out. And uh, that's in addition to uh, other things that we're doing that you're also welcome to join us for, for example, a Tuesday noon Bible study. Um, and there's also a Wednesday noon book group. They've already started the book, but they're only about two chapters in. So that's a book about the, the history of heaven and hell. So it's somebody who has a background in theology, but looks at sort of how our, our theologies and notions of heaven and hell have developed. And so if that's something that's of interest to you, let us know. We'll get you plugged into that. So lots of opportunities to connect and be connected as part of the church this summer. I think that's yeah. it. <laughs> Good deal. Uh, we should say that uh, that book club, The History of Heaven and Hell, is uh, being led by Dan Deffenbaugh. Um, Correct. And it's, it's, got some, it's got some academic heft to it um, for sure so it's it's really it's it's high quality and, it, and it's really good and interesting so and worthwhile yeah so uh, so now we, we transition towards uh, the scripture and a little mini bible study uh, we do a little prayer before we do that this i get to do the opening prayer this week um, and this is a prayer that i wrote and shared sunday morning i wrote it in in response to the events going on in Minneapolis, but not just in Minneapolis, uh, in cities all throughout the country the last couple of days, and not just the last couple of days, um, really the last few weeks and years, um, decades, centuries. You could go back a long ways if you wanted to. Um, and so this is a prayer that sort of uh, connects those things, uh, and also this past Sunday was Pentecost. I. I went to a seminary in Minneapolis. I lived there for three years. Um, I have good friends who live there currently. 
So this is a personal prayer that I uh, felt called to write and to offer. So I would uh, invite us to join together in a moment of prayer. This morning, O oh God, I consider the work of your spirit. I think of the ways that it has moved throughout time and space. I think of it dwelling upon the heads of the disciples, urging everyone around to listen and understand. I consider it rising up in the voice of King, declaring a vision for the world put right. I marvel at it being bit by dogs and sprayed with a fire hose, begging for others to empathize and accept. And O oh God, I remember my prophets. I recall how your spirit moved through them. I hear again the words of Jeremiah, who saw his people oppressed and destroyed, who said that he heard a voice rising up in lamentation and bitter weeping. It was the voice of Rachel, the mother of the northern tribes of Israel, refusing to be comforted, for her children were no more. The Spirit draws me back to this prophet, who looked upon the pain of his people and captured your very voice. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They acted shamefully. They committed abomination, yet they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. All is well, all is well, when all is not well. I remember, O oh God, how frequently it was your voice which rose up in pain and rage and righteous indignation when the world was not as it could be, when people were left to be hungry, to be poor, or to be treated with insult and degradation. I remember your lament for the prophet Amos who mourned those who rested on their beds and lounged on their couches but were not grieved over the ruin of those around them. Grant us, O God, your spirit of understanding, your spirit of mourning, your spirit of righteous indignation. Amid division and devastation and anger and confusion, give unto us the spirit and the gift which rested upon those gathered in Jerusalem all those years ago, the spirit to truly hear and truly understand one another. Amen. May it indeed be so. Amen. And thank you again, Damon, for both sharing that prayer on Sunday morning as well as uh, this morning, uh, and we will post a written copy of that prayer on our church's Facebook page at some point this week, but beautiful and thoughtful and uh, deeply connected to our faith, um, to the Bible, and also to, to God and our call to love one another. So thank you. You are welcome. So uh, the scripture for this coming Sunday is from John chapter 6. Uh, maybe it would be helpful maybe just to say at at this point, this scripture is going to be paired with a well-known and beloved children's book called Stone Soup. So maybe as folks are listening to the scripture, if they're familiar with that story, um, maybe that that'll maybe they'll be able to start to set and make their own little connections and that sort of thing. So uh, the scripture, John six verses one through fourteen, reads something to this effect. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, 
where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them, distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Here ends this reading. Greg, what do you got? Well, do a quick uh, preview of stone soup. Uh, for those who are not familiar, this is a common children's story. It's a often used as a fable or a myth in different cultures. And I found versions of it uh, coming from uh, a lot of different cultures uh, around the world. The, the story that I grew up with uh, was based on a French story. And, uh, and it was the idea that they, there are these three uh, clever French soldiers who came into a French town. And uh, the people of the town knew when soldiers came in, they would come and, and eat all their food and and they didn't like that. So as they saw these soldiers coming in, they, they closed their doors and the soldiers stopped and knocked on their door and said, is there something here to eat? Because the soldiers were hungry. And uh, everyone said, no, no, we, we don't have any food. And, uh, and so they did this. They went around the town and everybody said, no, we don't have any food for you. And so then they, they got to the town square and, and spoke loudly. And they said, people of this village, we, we would like to share uh, a special soup with you called stone soup. So if someone could bring us out a, a kettle or a large pot and they built a fire and somebody brought out a, loaned them a pot, they filled it with water and they picked up two stones on the ground and they dropped them in there. And they said, we're going to have this delicious stone soup to share with all of you. But you know what would make it more delicious would be something like a few carrots. Does anybody have a few carrots they could throw in here? And somebody brings out a few carrots and they toss them in the pot and, and on and on they go. Well, you know what would make this really delicious would be a few cubes of meat. Does anybody have that? And eventually the community comes out. Each of them contribute a little bit to this stone soup. And then together they all feast on the best soup they've ever had. Uh, and people are in awe and wonder because who knew you could make such delicious soup from, soup from stones when in reality it was the whole community coming together and sharing hospitality with these uh, three uh, troops, these three Frenchmen. So that was the story that I grew up with. It was in my, uh, my elementary school library and I think we read it almost every grade I was in elementary school. And I think that if I remember correctly, the copy uh, of the book had a recipe for stone soup in the back. And I believe as a class in fifth grade, we made stone soup. Um, and I remember being shocked that our teacher would actually pick up stones off the ground and drop them into the soup bowl, uh, or soup, rather the soup kettle. But then we added all these other ingredients and we had this delicious soup or stew. Anyways, that's the children's story. 
Uh, that's not, we're not going to read the version with the French soldiers. Uh, we're going to read a, a more updated version of it uh, that has two strangers coming to a town. Two sort of poor-looking, bedraggled strangers that come to a town. Same thing, go door-to-door. Nobody has anything for them. Then they go into the town square. Same story. And as I said, this story repeats itself. I found a version of it from China. I've found versions of it from um, Central Africa. Uh, and I found a version of it from uh, Central America as well. So this is a common story to teach about the themes of hospitality in different cultures. And it turns out our own Bible has a story about the theme of hospitality that can be used as well. Um, and so that's that's why I thought that this was a good scripture when we reflect on it in the same vein of the theme of hospitality. Uh, you know, there are actually six versions of a feeding of the multitudes uh, across Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This particular one where they feed 5,000, that's the number, is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there is a second miracle, the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew and Mark. So you've got six versions of this story with these miracles of feeding the multitudes. Uh, Damon, why do you think I picked this one from the Gospel of John? (laughs) I didn't know it was going to be a, be a test, a quiz. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, why this one from the from the Gospel of John? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> For me, I like the detail in it. Um, this is actually, of all six of those narratives, it's the only one where you've got a boy who's contributing his barley loaves and fish. In the other stories, there you, you don't have a particular named person. And while this boy doesn't have a name, uh, I like that. I also like the interaction uh, between Jesus and Philip in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? That's, that's like six months' wages. Wouldn't even buy enough for them to even get a little. And I, I like that detail, the way that Philip does that. And then Andrew is sort of... Well, there, there is this boy here who has five barlows and fishes. So initially there's some hope there, but he said, but what, what is five loaves and fishes going to do with so many people? So initially Andrew has a little hope, but then he buys into Philip's narrative as well. And I, um, I often think of this story about the notion of, of abundance and scarcity. And Philip is coming from a space of scarcity, right? There's not enough. There's not going to be enough. And Andrew has this glimmer of hope where maybe he's been able to break out of that scarcity mentality a little bit, but then he's like, but that's probably not enough. And so they're all basing this on scarcity. And the lesson Jesus is trying to teach him is that God is a God of abundance. Uh, God provides for us abundantly. And so um, we're able to pull this thing off. And um, it's funny, I was leading a Bible study on this story a few, uh, a few years ago. And I had some very scientifically minded church members in the Bible study uh, who have a tendency to want to try to sort of explain Jesus miracles. Well, there's a logical explanation for this. There wasn't actually a miraculous division of the loaves and the fishes that allowed for more people to be fed. What actually could have happened was that people were inspired by the generosity of this boy 
And so they also might have brought some food with them when they followed Jesus. And so they pulled out their food and started sharing with others. And, and that inspired more generosity, which caused more people to pull out their food and share with others. And so by the time this thing is over, everyone is eaten and there's leftovers. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really seem... kind of... Oh, go ahead. I was just, that doesn't see, really seem any less miraculous, though, does it? Amen. Right. That because because all of a sudden you have people embracing abundance, which begets generosity, right? And so people are being, they're like, oh, there's going to be enough. So I can take out mine because I know there's going to be enough for me to eat. And maybe I can share a little bit more with others. Mm-hmm. And then the next person up down the line does that. And before you know it, miraculously, everyone is fed. Um, and, and I love the, the interplay between abundance and generosity. Like if we can start to embrace the truth of God's abundance, that will lead to generosity, which then leads to more abundance. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, as is the case in the story of stone soup, as could have been the case in this miraculous feeding of the multitudes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I, I think this, this interaction between the between Jesus and these two disciples is an interesting interaction. I think that there could be more of kind of a, kind of a wink and a nod kind of a thing going on that sort of knowing, Oh, Jesus is kind of, he's kind of putting a joke on me here. And, you know, I could maybe, Oh, well, six months wages isn't going to buy enough for these folks. Jesus. Also what baker is going to have six bread, six months wages worth of bread sitting around (laughs) for you to buy that's a really good point you know we didn't have industrial bakeries there's no uh there's no aura wheat or bimbo factory by the the beach there yeah i don't know if i could buy six months worth of wages of bread at the grocery stores in town well i don't think you could damon you know if i went there and i was i want to buy Six months worth of wages of bread, you know. So I, so I think, and I, I think it does sort of illustrate this sort of. Uh, we tend to focus on what's the cost, what's what's going to be the cost of helping folks or of of doing what's right. Um, I think it does sort of illustrate that and that that scarcity and abundance mindset as well. This thing about um, this this passage also contains a lot of uh, what I was taught to call scriptural echoes within it. Um, We have Jesus going up on a mountain, uh, which might remind us of Moses, (laughs) Uh, might remind us of some other prophets as well, but I think it's supposed to remind us of Moses. Um, We've got a crowd following Jesus, Uh, crowd followed Moses. We've got Jesus going uh, to the other side of the sea of Galilee uh, undefined, maybe wilderness, um, kind of an area that's where it's set up with Passover sort of in the background or in the air. Um, Moses was obviously involved <laughs> in Passover. So in some ways, the scene is kind of set up as a, it's like, an, we would now call it an exodus. It's a reboot of the exodus franchise, right? Um and then there's this bread that shows up. Um, 
Moses, there was manna from heaven for the wanderers in the desert and then in the wilderness. Uh, and now we have this, oh, the, hey, there's, there's this miraculous bread that shows up as well. And, and people are fed. Um, the manna disappeared at the, at the end of the day. Um, the leftovers from this meal seem to stick around, right. um, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I don't really know what to do with that, <laughs> except to note it. It reminds me of the one semester that I taught um, Bible stuff at Hastings College. I had a student ask me if I thought that a, a person could understand the Newer Testament without reading or without understanding the Older Testament. And, my, and I said, no. No, you can't. You can't do it. You could, like, but you'd have a very surface level right. understanding. You'd miss all of this. Oh, Jesus is a prophet like Moses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through Jesus, God will take care of God's people in the same way that through Moses, God took care of God's people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same, I mean, those same themes of, of abundance and generosity and, and sharing and, 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 not eating more than you need mm-hmm. um you know that, that like when uh when the manna appears in the desert and then eventually they get greedy and start to collect more than they need for the day and then it rots and gets worms in it and all that stuff uh, but when they collect enough to feed their people it's just the right amount mm-hmm. and you know the these themes are present throughout scriptures um and i i love the phrase you use there damon of echoing seeing this as an echo of the Exodus story and, and you pointed to four different points where it echoes the Exodus story. And that's, that's, yeah. I also, um, at the very end of the passage, Jesus gets called a prophet, right? Mm-hmm. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. People are, are starting to believe it through these signs. And the gospel of John spends a lot of time talking about signs. Uh, yeah. It doesn't say miracles. It says signs. Um, and just one chapter earlier, Jesus had the, or maybe two chapters earlier, Jesus had the interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. And she ended that interaction with the same phrase, you must be a prophet. Uh, and so you're starting to see this, this building Jesus movement and people are starting to connect the dots and connect them likely to the stories of the old Testament, but also to the fact that, Jesus now has this following of people that are wandering around with him and watching these signs that he does that are showing that he indeed does have this, this power. Um, but so many of the signs that he does, you know, for the Samaritan woman, he tells her the truth about her, but also offers her love, right? Mm-hmm. In, in a world where she's not loved. Um, and in this case, he's providing for people, he's feeding people. And when we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, um, we're called to do the same thing. And our signs may look a little different than the signs performed by Christ, but uh, we're called to uh, to be having these these signs, which demonstrate God's love, God's provision, God's abundance, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting the use of the word sign. So signs, generally point us towards something, uh, you know, that the sign is meant to direct our attention towards something or, or to reveal something to us. So, so what is this sign is directing us towards what? 
in this passage, right? So it's directing us uh, towards recognizing Jesus as a prophet of God, as Jesus as falling in that line of, of those who spoke and acted um, on behalf of God in the world. Uh, and the actions that Jesus performs on behalf of God here is feeding people. <laughs> um, right. I think one of the other um, versions of this story, Jesus says something to the disciples to the effect of, uh, I think the disciples maybe want to try to send them home so that they can find something to eat. Yep. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's in more than one version of this uh, feeding the multitudes. Uh, I don't know which of the gospels it's in, but more than once the disciples are like, we can't possibly feed all these people. Send them home. No, yeah. you feed them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and, and they're able to. And, and early on in Jesus' ministry, this is one of the stories um, that's not right before Jesus, uh, you know, this is Passover, but I don't think it's the Passover where Jesus is actually crucified. So it likely would have been a year or two. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works out in, in the narrative of John. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just Jesus is already reminding his disciples that they are to pick up and do the work as well, that it's not all on, on Jesus' shoulders, but that they are called to be doing the same thing. And um, we just got through the Ascension story in Pentecost, which uh, tell that story well, too. But even earlier than that, when Jesus is still engaging in his earthly ministry, it's that reminder that, yeah, you, you do this. This is not just on me. This is, this is on all of us. Um, yeah. And there's these, there's these interesting Eucharistic allusions as well. Um, some of this language is very similar to the common uh, communion liturgy. Um, he took bread, he blessed it. Uh, that's, that's what he does in the, in the upper room as well and 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 that the this coming sunday is a communion sunday and when we sort of reflect on how the various ways that god provides sustenance and grace and nurture for us yeah yep and my last reflection uh i don't know that i'll share this on sunday in the sermon but um we had the opportunity to go to the, the, the site that is historically understood as the site where Jesus fed the multitudes. And they've, they've built a chapel on this site. And um, this is when we were on our Holy Land trip last October. And it was pretty powerful to sit there with 35 folks from Nebraska and think that not only was this the place that Jesus may have performed this miracle, but also that for 2000 years, people have been returning to this place to be reminded to and connected to that story and to make it part of our story. And um, we've talked a lot on that trip about uh, both the ancient stones and the living stones that are present in the Holy Land. Um, and we become part of that story. Uh, and, and so even though this was a particular event that occurred 2000 years ago, the lessons from that story and the way the story speaks to us today is, is, is frankly probably more relevant than ever. Yeah. So there's gotta be something in here that'll preach. Don't you think? I think so. I think I'll be able to tease something out of it. Okay.
<laughs> Good enough. Would you like to offer a closing prayer for us? I'd love to. Yeah, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for these ancient stories that tell of signs and miracles and whether the miracle was actually creating more food or whether the miracle was people generously opening up their own satchels and sharing their food with others. We recognize that both of those miraculous events are ones that have lessons to teach us today, 2000 years later. May our hearts and our minds be open to those lessons. And as we start this summer series with children's books, may we realize that those lessons are everywhere for us. And may we tune ourselves into those lessons so that we can continue to be followers of the risen Christ. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, toodaloo.